0: Father, we thank you that you love us so well and you have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And you've given us your book that tells us who you are, what you're like, what you command us to, what you desire for us. Help us by the power of your Spirit, God, to receive from your hand directly what you have to say to us today. Give life, bring conviction. Empower and embolden us by the power of your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in in the spirit of Mother's Day, I'm going to tell you a story that's slightly altered. It's mostly true, a a little bit made up just so it fits the occasion and the passage. But I had a friend in high school, and I was at his house, and his mom told a joke. And I joke doesn't matter, but let's say she said the punchline was to get to the other side. Y'all know that, Jared. That's not the joke she told. <laughs> but her son said, Do it to the other side. He's like mocking her. And as soon as he said it, his brother went, Uh oh. And it got real quiet in the room. And she got up, and she pointed to him, and she pointed outside. And then his brother went, Pooh. <laughs> because he knew what was about to happen. And needless to say, the beatings would continue until morale approved. What's something you shouldn't do to your mom, kids? You shouldn't mock her. Don't mock your mom. Don't scoff at what your mom says. Why? Because she's your mom, dummy. I'm scoffing at you. Nobody, nobody that I know in their right mind, likes to be mocked, right? You come at somebody and you share something you're excited about and they laugh at you or they raise their <laughs> eyebrows at you or they go, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo, you know, because they don't have anything else. I <laughs> uh, thank you very much. I've, I've been well-practiced. I mean, nobody likes that, right? What do you think God thinks about being mocked? The sovereign of the universe. The creator of all things. Who loved mankind enough to send his son to die for us to pay the penalty for our sins. How do you think he likes being mocked? I'll say this, he's gracious, that's a good thing. But there is a point where that runs out. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, This is a very, and we're opening up... two or three cans of worms today that we won't get to, and uh, we're going to talk eschatological stuff in the coming weeks. We're going to talk in-time stuff, and there's a whole lot that's going to happen that comes out of this passage and goes into the next ones that is really... I hope you're excited about it. Um, I'm scared to death myself. Thank you very much because I could really mess this up. Um, But today, I want us to hear Peter's heart in speaking to the recipients of his letter about how to handle those who are mocking God. So verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So like we said at the beginning of 2 Peter, this you here in this first verse. I don't know why uh, I'm going back. Y'all might have to control me back there. Mine's not working again. This U here, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. This may be the same U, corporate, collective U, as First Peter. It may not. It doesn't matter. Um, it would make sense if it was, but we just don't know how many letters Peter wrote and who all he wrote them to. So I'm not gonna die on the hill that this is the second letter to the same group of people. It really doesn't matter. But I just wanna say that because if we see you, like who's he talking to? Somebody that he's writing this second letter to, that he had written a previous letter to. So whoever it is, it's Peter's second letter that he's writing to this group of people. And don't pass up that next word too quickly. What is it that I'm writing to you? Beloved. Beloved, and I know we've talked about this before, but if it's in the Bible again and it's in our passage again, we need to look at it again. He calls the recipients of this second letter beloved. Agapetos, agapetos. Sixty-two times in the New Testament, it means dearly beloved, well beloved, dear, esteemed. Don's favorite word, favorite and worthy of love that's what beloved means and first thing i want to ask out of that question out of that word is this do we see and feel this way about each other are these people in this building this morning beloved to you and if they're not ask god to help you love us well because these should be your people this is your tribe You should look around and say, Man, I love these people. Uh, By the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, do we feel for each other this way because we should? And second thing I would say is, do we know that God, through His Word, sees us this way as well? That God looks upon His people and says, This is my beloved. Do you know that He says that because of the favor that you've got, because of the grace purchased for you through the work of Christ? God sees you as His beloved. And that solves a lot of problems. He's not mad at you. He's not out to get you. He's not trying to catch you in something bad. He loves you. You are the beloved of the Almighty God of the universe. And in the midst of all this harsh language that Peter's been dropping about these false teachers in previous passages, and in the same tone that he's going to use coming up about scoffers, and these scoffers may be the same false teachers, they may be a different group of people. But in the middle of all this harshness, Peter drops in this affectionate reminder of who these people that he's writing to are to him. He calls them beloved. They are beloved to him, they are his brethren. And again, some of the harshness for those in the wrong is because of the love that Peter has for his beloved brother. And here in the first verse of chapter 3, Peter says in this second letter that he is writing to them his beloved for what purpose? And that he's doing it in this letter and he did it in the previous letter. And he's doing it stirring up their sincere mind by way of reminder. I am stirring up is one Greek word, and it means to wake up, to arouse the mind, to stir up, to render active. And what's he stirring up? Your sincere mind. And don't miss this. He is working and writing the whole purpose. So if if you've got a document, if you've got something in front of you, you want to ask, what's the purpose of this thing? And this is the purpose. He's saying, This is the purpose of why I wrote the previous letter. This is why I'm writing this letter. And don't miss this. He is stirring up their sincere mind in order to get their minds working. We saw it in 1 Peter 2, right? 1 Peter, he had called on them to prepare their minds for action and for them to be sober minded. And at that time, we talked about the importance of how we think and what we think about on a consistent basis. Well, here again, Peter is calling on his readers, so the recipients of this letter and us, to get your minds in gear. To think on purpose. To think vigorously. And he says that their minds are sincere. That just means pure. They've got pure minds. He's encouraging them, saying they have pure minds. Have this mind in yourself, Paul would say, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Having a pure mind that is engaged in sober thinking for the purpose of discerning what in the world is going on around us in the world. And then not just knowing what's going on, but then taking appropriate action after coming to the holy conclusions that come from that thinking. It's not just enough to think. That thinking's got to lead to action. And so Peter's whole point in writing this second letter is to stir them up to that kind of thinking again. So church, think vigorously, intentionally, wholly empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let your mind think on what you need to be thinking about and don't be lazy because you're going to be fed all kinds of junk from out there. And Peter's whole point is to stir them up, to stir us up, that kind of thinking again. Whether they had gotten lax in their thinking, or if he's just saying this was and is and will be his goal, it is imperative that they and we are thinking purposefully, rightfully, and clearly. And so, these letters. And what he's writing in these letters again is not new information, but he says it's by way of what? Reminder. He's not dropping some new secret Jesus story that they've never heard before even though I'm say he had thousands of them he's telling them to remember what they've already been taught by the apostles and i know we've said this time and time and time again but you know it just keeps coming up in the text it's not wrong to say it again we don't need new information we need to be reminded of what we've already been told Tell me the old, old story. I don't want your fresh revelation. Take it to Bel Air or something. Remember, remind, rehearse, recover, re-re. We should be a re people. Oh the importance of re remember, remind, rehearse, recover. And what is Peter stirring up their minds to remind them of? Verses 2 and 3. He's stirring up their minds, verse 2, that you should remember, look at that word, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Now I don't have anything in the, in the message about this, but I love that word back in, in verse 2. He says, the commandment of the Lord and Savior through what? Your apostles. You know, the, the word apostle means one sent. And it, it means one sent as a gift. God sent us, the apostles, as a gift to us. And Peter knows that. He says, your apostles. They belong to you. They're a gift that was given to you. And again, I didn't have that in there. And it just hit me. I'm like, I've got to circle that because your apostles is important. But we won't cover that anymore. So now watch this, because this sets the whole tone for the passage today and going forward from here. All that reminding and stirring up and remembering and such is drawing attention to what these readers have heard from prophets in the past and the apostolic teaching in the present at Peter's time. And it's all about what? It's all about God's Word stirring up their minds by way of reminder that you should remember predictions of the prophets and the commandment of Jesus that was given through your apostles. And then in verse 3, he tells us why he's so intent on stirring up this reminding and remembering. And again, this is very important. Here you go. Knowing this first of all. I'm stirring up your mind by way of reminder. I want you to remember what God has said because... Know this first of all, as of first importance, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So this is purpose statement, okay? Again, it sets the tone for everything else. It's not just about bringing things to remembrance for the sake of remembering. That's all right. But that's not Peter's point here. The point of reminding and remembering and calling to mind and stirring up those minds for action is for the purpose of fighting against those who will come and accuse the Word of God as being silly or irrelevant. Scoffers, Peter calls them. And it means just what it says. A scoffer or a mocker. Like my friend. Someone who laughingly seeks to discredit someone or something. And Peter says, we have to know this first of all, that they're coming. And again, the first here is a matter of priority, not first in a list of things. So Peter is calling on his readers to constantly be bringing to their minds the truth of what God has said in both the Old and the New Covenants the prophets and the apostolic teaching passed down from Jesus to his disciples. Be purposeful in bringing to mind and stirring up your mind what God has already said, because people are coming who are going to laugh at the Bible, and they're going to call on you to laugh at it too, to disregard it, to mock it. Oh, who? Oh, Mercy Me has a song, and says, "I'm I can't." This isn't the exact wording. He says, "Uh." People say all the time, you need to be more open-minded. And he says, I believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence. How much more open-minded could I be? And people would laugh at that. You really believe that? You really believe there's a supreme being who spoke everything into existence? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely yes. They're coming, and they're here. Okay? We know that they're here. You hear it day in, day out. You see it on the Facebooks and on the social media. They're here. Be purposeful, then, to bring to mind what God has said. So we've moved from false teachers to scoffers. Again, are they the same people? Probably. And Peter's working to reinforce the truth in his recipients' hearts and minds because nobody likes to be laughed at. And nobody likes to be looked down on, now do they? Anybody remember being in school and getting made fun of? Oh my gosh, it was like a terror, right? Like, you ever have the dream that you're standing in front of people and your teeth are falling out or you don't have any clothes on or something like that? That's just me, I'm just the twin, what's the matter with you? We don't like to be laughed at. We don't like to be mocked. And so Peter's saying, get ready because it's coming. You're going to encounter it. Stir up your minds for action. Get ready because you're going to get laughed at. You're going to get snickered at. And you don't like it and it's going to be hard. And it's going to make you feel funny on the inside. And you're going to say, maybe I should just shut up because they're making fun of me. Maybe you're still worried about being made fun of. It's a little scary. It's human nature. Who wants to be mocked and dismissed as silly or stupid or that what you're saying doesn't matter at all? Irrelevant. Well, Peter says, get ready because that's going to happen. And what's Peter's encouragement in the face of these coming scoffers? Are they to change the truth to make it more palatable for these scoffing cultures that they're going to be coming into? Should they change their methods or the message? in order to reach the scoffers because we've got to love the scoffers, right? We've got to reach them. So maybe we should change our message. Maybe we should change our means. Maybe we should change the word to make it more acceptable to the scoffers. Peter says, absolutely not. In fact, Peter simply says to remember what the prophets and apostles have said in the midst of all this. In the face of people mocking the Bible, what's Peter's command? remember what the Bible says. And that's the strategy. Ha ha ha, stupid Christians, you believe the Bible? Yes. Ha ha, you believe those old wives' tales? Ha ha, you believe Jesus was God? And on and on and on. And and in our day, the ghastly accusation that's being made at us is that if you believe the Bible, then you are dismissing (gasps) science. You have to either believe the Bible or science. That's the accusation of the culture. And listen, science is God. My science, our science, the science that fits our narrative is God. And if you deny our science, you're just stupid. So what am I supposed to do? Look at their science? I can look at it, but it's going to push me back to the Bible to see what the Bible says about this. Science is smarter than you, they say. Science is smarter than your Bible because those were primitive people who didn't know anything. (laughs) You stupid, knuckle-dragging literalist. Guilty. And the Word of God says that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. And the Bible says that we are to consider the ancient paths. And the Scriptures clearly say that God spoke the universe into existence and is sovereign over every atom in it. And that's what we have to constantly be remembering and reminding ourselves of and stirring our minds and our hearts into action because of. And knowing, first of all, that these scoffers are coming, we have to stand against them by remembering the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And note too that Peter says these scoffers will be coming in the last days with their scoffing. So is he eschatologically pointing to a time in the distant future, into the millennial realm? Or no, we don't know if that's the thing. I don't know. No, he's saying this because the last days started with Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter himself confirms this in Acts 2 when he quotes Joel 2, Acts two seventeen to 21 And in the last days it shall be, God declares That was Peter's quote from Joel 2. And what he's saying there is the end days, the last days are not somewhere far off in history. Rather, he's saying to his readers here in 2 Peter and to us that these last days started in their day and will continue, these last days will, until the consummation of all things at the end, which technically will be a new beginning. But that's a different message for a different day. We don't have time for that today. And before we leave these two verses and we're on the topic of reminding, I want to remind you of something I said in last week's message. I said that Peter is defending the honor of his Lord in this letter. This is an honor and shame culture, and we have lost that in our culture completely. There is no shame in what we do anymore. sad for us. So, What he's doing here, he's standing up against those in his day and time who are speaking out against Jesus, against Jesus' way and against Jesus' followers. And here we start to see Peter defending the truth and veracity of God's Word. These scoffers who Peter says are following their own sinful desires are scoffing at what? Well, we'll see in the next verse that they're scoffing about God's Word and Peter is going to defend the honor of God's Word. Look at verse 4. They, those scoffers, will say, (laughs) Where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The Jason version says, Ain't a dang thing changed. These scoffers are scoffing at the fact that Jesus hasn't come back yet. Now, Now, just think about that for a second. We're like maybe 30 years from Jesus' ascension at the point of this letter. And in 30 years, Jesus still ain't came back. And people are already mocking Christians about the fact that He hasn't returned yet. That tells me something. It tells me that the early church's belief was that Jesus could come back at any time. And they were talking about it. And they were living like it. And people were hearing it and going, (laughs) they think that dead guy's coming back. That guy that they talk about and they say they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they think he's coming back. Because they won't stop talking about it. Would people expect Jesus to return by what you say out of your mouth? Do they hear you talking about Jesus coming back? Because obviously these scoffers heard these early Christians saying, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I'm excited because Jesus could come back today. And people are like, idiot. They're like, no, man, it's real. Pff, idiot. Jesus is coming back. They couldn't get it off their lips. They couldn't get it out of their heads and their hearts. And they lived like they expected Jesus to come back right now to the point that people made fun of them about it. Hmm. And again, there are some eschatological implications here. And maybe the following message and on we might tap into some of that. But we can clearly see that these believers had to have been talking about their expectation of Jesus' return in their day-to-day lives. And it did affect how they lived. And that was met with these scoffers, these unbelievers mocking that thought. They will say, Peter says, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So you say this Jesus, who you say was resurrected. Well, first of all, we never saw Him alive after the crucifixion. He showed Himself alive to believers. Unbelievers never saw him. He showed himself to who he wanted to show himself to. Implications of that too, by the way. So you think this dead guy's coming back. He's returning. Well, where where is he? Because either he lied or you're lying. Because he's not here. And here we are with the fathers dead. And nothing has changed. All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And the word fathers there is a word that was used to speak of those in the Old Testament. Think Father Abraham. The Old Testament saints, they've fallen asleep and nothing has changed since they fell asleep. And they don't just go back to the days of Jesus being on the earth or even just back to Father Abraham. They go all the way back to creation. They go back to the beginning of time. Interesting that they would say creation, by the way. And don't forget this is scoffing, it's mocking, it's poking fun at it. It's not an inquisitive, hopeful question. Tell us more about what you're saying. It's a taunt. And why? Don't forget what reason Peter gave for their scoffing at the end of verse 3. He said, following their own sinful desires. And here's what it boils down to. They don't want to believe in a second coming because that would validate the first coming. And if Jesus did come... And Jesus did live a perfect life. And Jesus did die a substitutionary death on the cross. And if He did rise again and ascend into heaven, then He was God in the flesh. And therefore, we are obligated to obey Him. But their sinful desires can't allow for that. So they invalidate it all and instead say, Oh yeah, your dead Messiah's coming back to make everything right, huh? I don't buy it. That's a silly old wives' tale, and it's been the same since like forever. Their eyes rolling and their bellies laughing, slapping each other on the back, heaping condemnation upon themselves. And how does Peter defend the honor of his Lord in the face of this? Well, oddly enough, not so odd, he remembers the Scriptures, just like he had told his readers to do just before this. Look at verses 5 and 6. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now this is the hardest section to kind of figure out what's going on, but it makes perfect sense if we'll just stop and take the time. it's okay? a very interesting route to run here for Peter inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit through Peter is giving us a very powerful example and illustration of why people should not scoff at the promises of God and their timing. And how's he doing that? Well, he says that these mockers, in saying nothing has changed since creation, are deliberately, purposefully, overlooking an inconvenient truth for them. And what truth, what fact is that? For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now, Peter seems to be really hung up on the flood. It was a pretty significant event in Peter's mind, right? He had mentioned it in chapter 2 of this second letter in giving examples of the judgment coming on false teachers. That was 2 Peter 2.5. If he, God, did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And now, here in our passage today, Peter turns again to the flood to defend God and His Word. Nothing's different since the beginning of creation. He says these scoffers have to make it a point to forget that the flood happened. And if any of these scoffers were Jewish, which they probably were, they would definitely have to just decide they weren't going to bring the flood up because it's central in the historical account of their Torah. The flood was not some cleverly devised myth, as Peter brought up before, but was an actual, real, historic event. And the world will laugh at you for saying that now. Well, that was just a local thing. That's not what the Word says. It says it covered the face of the whole earth. The water was above every mountain in the world. That's silly. You don't believe that, do you? Yeah? (laughs) But what's that got to do with anything? Now follow Peter's logic. Three steps in what he says here. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And three... And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now that feels a little weird, right? I mean, what's that mean? If you just had to explain right now what that meant, what would you say? Well, it took me a long time, okay? Maybe you're smarter than me and better at articulating it. I hope you are. What's going on here? Well, remember, the scoffers had mentioned that things haven't been a bit different since creation. Nothing's changed. Well, in that creation... The heavens existed. Okay? That's pretty simple. Okay? The heavens existed. That was long ago. Way back to creation. Okay? Well, God created the heavens. What else did God create when He created the heavens? In the beginning, God created the heavens and... Not Pizza Hut. The earth. Right? And that earth was formed... Watch this. Out of water and through water by the Word of God. Now, that's probably the toughest part of this statement, but it's really pretty simple. If you look at the creation account, you see this in Genesis 1, 6-10. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the what? Waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together He called seas. And God saw that it was good. So you see twice that there were waters that were separated or gathered in this process of creation. Waters separated from waters under and above the expanse. And then waters gathered together to let the dry land appear. So the earth was formed of water and through water. And of course, it was all by the Word of God because God said, which you see twice in those five verses, and plus God called two more times. Got it now? So through water, by water, out of water. There was a lot of water going on at creation. And that's what Peter's referencing here. Okay, But now this third part. And that by means of these, the world. Oh, I lost my place. By means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So here's more water. Well, I think the key to this clause is the word these. And that by means of what? Was the world deluged with water and perished? The only thing that could be would be the waters and the Word of God. Peter had said that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God, and that by means of these. And that makes perfect sense. Genesis 7, 11-12 says, "...in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month..." Now, time out. That's pretty specific. That's like saying Sunday, May fourteenth, twenty 2023 at 1151. This is not just some made-up story. This is dictated history by God Himself. Sorry, Good. that's not in here. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. So what happened at the flood? You see that at the direction, at the Word of God, the upper waters in the in the upper expanse and the lower waters under the earth and rain in the middle of it all started Open it up and pour it to bring this flood. It wasn't just 40 days and 40 nights of rain. It's like water fell from heaven in a mighty waterfall. Water rose up from under the earth and it rained 40 days and 40 nights. This was a lot of water. This makes Niagara Falls look like a little trickle. God literally said, water. And it came from up top, it came from down below, and it came from in the middle. And this was how God had chosen to wipe out life on the face of the earth because the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. Or as Peter says, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And so, Peter is saying that the scoffers deliberately overlook these facts. Or actually, Peter says, this fact. They overlook it so that they can follow their sinful desires and not have to worry about God's judgment. Because if God has judged sinful man before, guess what? He will again. So no, let's not look look back at the flood, these scoffers say. Let's just overlook that. Let's dismiss it. Let's just say that's silly. That's something you can put on your nursery wall, right? Giraffes and... Let me tell you what, you don't want the real flood scene on your nursery wall. People clawing at the bottom of the ark and calling... Never mind, we won't go there. Even though we did go there. And these scoffers say, let's just get rid of that. Let's just say everything's been the same since creation. They overlook it so they can follow their sinful desires and not have to worry about God's judgment. If God has judged sinful man in the past, His character says that He will again. So yeah, let's forget about that purposefully. And so how's that work out for these scoffers, do you think? Verse 7. But... By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Hmm. So by God's word, the earth was destroyed with a flood, which these scoffers choose to overlook. But in choosing to overlook that fact, they also are choosing to overlook what's coming in the future. But by the same word, the same word that bought the flood, the same word that destroyed the world with water, the same word, by that same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. We are nothing but kindling for the wrath of God in the world today. And that's not good news for the ungodly because... That fire is for, Peter says, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So what's going on? What's the connection with the rest of the passage? Well, in defending the honor of God and His Word, Peter is making sure that his readers know that these scoffers, mocking and saying that there's been no change since creation, there can't be a God who's going to judge us, And surely then Jesus isn't coming back because if if there's no judgment, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, He's not coming back and He's not coming back because He's not going to judge anything. There's nothing to judge. Well, it turns out they're wrong about everything. Everything. All together. And they're going to reap the consequences of their deliberate oversight. If I dismiss the fact of gravity and decide I want to step off the roof... Well, that's a little bit inconvenient that I overlook the fact that gravity actually is real. It's not going to turn out well for me. And these mockers, these scoffers have dismissed the judgment of God out of hand. And it's not going to be good for them. They're going to reap the consequences of their deliberate oversight. They will be judged. And look, it doesn't say they're ignorant and don't know. It says it's a deliberate oversight. And that's what they're going to be judged for. What about the innocent guy in Africa? There is no innocent guy in Africa. We're all sinners. We are all rebels against a holy God. And we're born that way. And we choose to suppress the truth. Because nature tells us, Romans 1 and 2, nature tells us that there's a God. But we say, nah, nah. I'm going to deliberately overlook that fact. It's how we're wired. Because of the fall. Because of sin. And because of sin, listen, because of sin, everyone will be judged. It will happen. And just like the world and the evildoers before were judged by water, the world and the evildoers of the future are going to be judged by fire. And you say, you can't believe that, preacher. I do. Why? Because God said it. God had promised through a covenant after the flood that He would never again destroy the world in a flood. But He did not promise that He would never again destroy the world. He just said, I won't do it through a flood. And He will indeed judge the world and destroy the heavens and the earth with fire. And we'll look at this more in the next passage on 2nd Peter in a couple weeks, but verses verse 10 of 2nd Peter 3 says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Listen, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. A roar, burned up, dissolved. We're talking down to molecular level. It's a pretty big fire. Kiss, heavens on fire. Now, they had no idea what they were talking about. But they were right. And it's going to burn to the point that it's all going to be dissolved. Undone. That's how God's going to do it. And people say, well, it has to be a nuclear war. A nuclear war can't blow up the universe, it can't blow up the heavens. Only God can do that by His word. Let there be fire. My like, golly, that sounds mean. God is angry with the wicked every day. That's what the word says. Do you understand the grace that has been extended to you as a child of God? His mercy is more. Thank God. Sitting there this morning singing that song, for the first time in my life, literally, His mercy is more than my sins. That sounds silly in elementary. But I'm like, all these sins that I think about that that prey upon my mind and make me feel bad, His mercy is more than all of them. Not just our sins, my sins. That is unmerited favor in the midst of a cosmos that is going to be destroyed by fire. You say, are we going to be destroyed by fire? No. No. We're preserved from the judgment through the ark of Christ who died for us and carries us to safety as the rest of the world literally burns. Is that fair? Heavens, no. It ain't a bit fair. It's grace. You know what's fair? The heavens burning and the ungodly being judged by that fire. That's fair. That's right. That's good. And that kind of plucks at our heartstrings. Jinkies. Did you really have to dissolve them? Yep. Because of their deliberate oversight. Because they're conveniently dismissing the truth of what God has already said, and it's going to bring fire and complete destruction. And it'll be the same word that spoke to the world and the flood before that will speak this fiery destruction into existence as well. Listen, God Himself will orchestrate and execute this plan. And nobody gets away with anything. Now Peter must have had some inside information here because nowhere else in the Bible do we see that the end judgment is by fire. Now, Paul does refer to us passing through fire at the final judgment and the works, the gold, silver, precious stones will be preserved and everything else will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. But Paul's not talking about the destruction of the universe by fire. He's talking about the trial that we'll go through. So Peter had some inside information here and the Holy Spirit drops it to us through him. We do see fire used as God's anger in the Old Testament a lot, but we never see until Peter says this that God's going to destroy the universe with fire at the end of all things. He's the only writer who says that all things will end by fire. And when that fire comes, God's just wrath, just wrath, just wrath will be poured out, and there will be no more scoffing anywhere in the universe. Paul says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. After they've been dissolved, your spirit can't be destroyed. And once that universe is dissolved, guess what's going to happen? Then God's going to reassemble it. He's going to take every atom and bring it back into a perfect new creation in a place for God and His people to dwell together forever in. And what will be the punishment in hell for those false teachers and scoffers? Fire. Hell, fire. Again, another doctrine that's fell out of vogue. We don't like to talk about hell. An inconvenient truth for us. Well, tell me about hell. Well, we don't really like to talk about hell. Jesus talked about hell more than He talked about heaven. Jesus says in Mark 9, 47-48, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's a quote from Isaiah 66. And Jesus is saying that in hell there is fire. That fire never goes out and it burns those there who will never die, but they will suffer in fire for eternity. And that's justice judged by fire at the end of time and through all of eternity. That's the end of these scoffers. And listen, it will be done by the Word of God who created and will recreate everything. You might not want to overlook those truths. So we've got application. You're like, man, you're going to take a full hour? We didn't start done. Sorry, not Sorry. Happy Mother's Day. You get free time this afternoon. I'm not going to charge you for this at all. Um, three S's application. Scoffers, obviously. Scripture. And the last one is my favorite. Scrap. Scoffer, Scripture, Scrap. i got to write that song. Anyway, first, scoffers. Now watch this. Kind of a two-sided application point here. There have always been and there will always be those who mock and scoff when we talk about our faith. It's always happened. It's always going to happen. Don't let that upset your faith. But these are the smart people. old Pentecostal preacher friend of mine passed away a few years ago. He used to call them smart dummies. To which I say amen. They've got everything figured out. They've got science on their side. And listen, there is no science that contradicts Scripture. No true science. I can't remember who said it. It was some, some scientist who said, the more we research and the, more, the closer it points us to God. One guy was talking about geological structures in the Grand Canyon and he was not a believer. He said, man, the creationists would just love to get their hands on this because it basically proves everything they say to be Right? That flood really happened. And that's what caused this massive crevasse. I just want to say crevasse. And you see, all these layers that should have taken millions of years, they're all right there together. How'd that happen? Maybe God did that. Don't let their scoffing upset your faith. Now, this may sound counterintuitive, but I would say instead of ignoring them, listen to what they say. Pay attention to what they're attacking. Because it's usually the important things that they're attacking. And we want to know what the Bible says about these important things. So let their scoffing point you to seek out what God said about that. And then do what? Think about it! Peter said, I want to stir your mind up by ways of reminder. Think, think hard, think hard about what the scoffers are saying and let it point you to the Bible so that you can go, but what does God say about that? Actually, I'm jumping to the second application point. I'll get there in a second. So first, don't ignore them, listen to them. Now watch this. The second part of this scoffer application point is, don't be a scoffer. Don't let yourself get into... Attacking the Bible. Telling why the Bible is silly. And we don't believe that portion of it. And listen, it's very easy to do that. Just because you don't like it or because you're backed into a corner and you can't defend it, don't let yourself become a scoffer. Let me me say this very clearly. Question the Bible. Absolutely. This is tough. I don't understand this. This really doesn't jive with what I think God's like. But don't look at it and say, so I'll just get rid of that. Thomas Jefferson cutting the miracles out of his Bible because he didn't believe those parts. Don't let yourself become a scoffer because you don't know what the Scripture says. Let your scoffing or your questioning lead you to, hey, what does this say? And then think about it. Be a searcher, not a scoffer. Which points us to the second application point, Scripture. Let your questioning lead you to Scripture. It is absolutely positively impossible to know everything that the Bible says about everything. You can't do it. You don't reach a point where you've got the book figured out. So what should you do? Let scoffing of others and your own questions and doubts and worries drive you to the Bible to find out what it says about the things you're wondering about. Remember in Acts the account of the, I think it was a second uh, missionary journey. Paul goes to Berea. And he starts talking about things, this new gospel that nobody's ever heard before about a Messiah who died and came back to life. What does it say the Bereans did? It says they went to their scriptures and said, let's see if what Paul is saying is true or not. And the scriptures call them noble-minded. Let's be Bereans Let's let the scoffing and our own questions lead us to the Scriptures to say, God, what do you say about this? And let me say this, on your knees, asking for the empowerment and wisdom of the Holy Spirit to help you understand and figure out. The natural man cannot discern the truths of the Bible because they're spiritually discerned. No wonder they scoff at it. It sounds like stupidity to them. But God, in His grace, has given us His Holy Spirit so that we can attack the Scriptures, run to them, and say, "God," and I'm going to say attack. I mean, run to them. I don't mean like, ah, ah, you know, this is stupid. I'm going to tear it up. I mean, I'm, I'm running to it. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom and insight. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see incredible, wonderful things through Your Word. Look at what the culture's saying, and then go to the Bible to see what God says. And compare and contrast the two. And listen, understand that the culture is depraved and God is infallible. So, whose side should you take? What was the guy that won all those Jeopardy? Ken Jennings. Won like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. If you could go on Jeopardy and have as your helper Ken Jennings or God bless him, Asa, who would you pick? Asa knows a lot of things. He's a real smart kid. And he's nine. And Ken Jennings won hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, I don't know how much he won. I'll take Ken Jennings. Give me him. I have to choose between a depraved world who don't know truth from error, or God who spoke everything into existence and upholds the whole creation by the word of his power, the power of his word. Who are you going to choose? You're going to jump on the cultural bandwagon that is literally on the highway to hell? Doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. Oh, and they're scoffing. They're pointing. And that makes us feel a little uneasy, but I'd rather be on God's side. So see what they're pointing at. See what they're scoffing at. Go to the Bible. Ask God to help you. And stay on the Bible bandwagon because it's infallible. Scoffer, Scripture, finally, scrap. You've got to say it like that. Scrap! If you're talking about it later and you bring up the application points, you've got to say, Scrap! This is a mystery to me, and it's wonderful, and I don't understand it. By the design and the Word of God, God is going to literally dissolve everything and start over. Now listen, we've heard that and we've heard it in songs and we've heard it said, but listen, everything you see, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the green, the blue, the holy the stars, everything is going to burn up and dissolve. That's God's plan. Now here's the application part. What manner of people should we be as a result of knowing this? Does that strike terror into your heart? Does that make you look at God and say, God, why would you do that? You're so mean. God never takes something from us without replacing it with something better. That includes there's a lot of good. A lot of good. I wouldn't say beans and rice, but that's that's on you pal. There's a lot of good here. And listen, God's going to bring it down to the atomic level, through fire, and he's going to reassemble it into something even better. Even better. Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Interesting mention of the sea there. We don't have time for that, but think about that. Look into that yourself for your homework. And God had predicted this back in Isaiah 65. Let me read this. Think think about this passage. This is beautiful. For behold, God says, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. What kind of people should we be? But be glad and rejoice forever. In that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, God says, and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days, for the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Anybody want a piece of that? Sign me up. So then what kind of people should I be? What kind of people should we be? A people who look forward to that, to rejoicing forever in the recreation of God, of which we are a picture. He took us as sinners, passed judgment on our sins through the cross of Christ, recreated us and is recreating us in the image of Christ where we and how we shall forever enjoy Him in heaven with Him in a recreated heavens and earth. May we be a people who are looking for our eternal dwelling. And when people scoff at that thought, may we rise up and may we say, with Hebrews thirteen fourteen, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Scoff all you want. I want that more than I want what you're scoffing at. While scoffers scoff, may we turn to the Scriptures and look forward to the day when God scraps it all and then recreates it all for our good and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your plans are far beyond anything we could think or imagine. God, I thank you that you are God, and I am not. I thank you, God, that your thoughts and your plans are so far above anything we could think or imagine. You are able to do far above anything we could think or imagine. And God, it's not without difficulty that we wrestle with these things, but you have given us your helper your very Holy Spirit, our stay within friend, God in us, so that we might comprehend with all the saints what is the height and depth and length and breadth and the love of God that passes all understanding. God, may we be those who look at the scoffers and are not swayed by them, but are drawn to them so that we might proclaim to them the excellencies of the one who died to pay the penalty for the sins of your people. And may we beg them to flee from the wrath to come, from the fire to come, And may we love you enough to defend the honor of your word when people say what you said isn't true. May we not be scoffers. May we look to your scripture. And may we look forward longingly to the day that you scrap it all and put it back together in a perfect image of who you are and what you have for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? And it's a good one. They're all good ones, but this is a good one. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.